And welcome back to another edition of what I like to call from nonsense to God sense. As we take a look at some of the issues that go, well, just maybe not even issues, but some of the stuff, just day to day life, lifestyle, just stuff that goes on in our life. We take a look at it and we compare it from the world's view to maybe a biblical perspective. And we kind of see, does it make sense in this world or does it make sense if we look at it through the eyes and the lens of, of the Bible? And joining me is Dan Dalzell. And, and Dan, one of the things that I find interesting that we've been discussing since pretty much Easter, we started with this Easter uh, conversation back around Easter time, and we've kind of just kept the conversation going as the historical events of the Bible have been following along. So uh, Pentecost, you know, we talked about a little bit about upper upper room discipleship and and some other events. And, and then last week, or the last time we talked, we talked about the existence of hell. Does it really exist? What is it? How do we avoid it? You know, what puts us there? And so today, one of the things that uh, we're going to talk about is uh, an article that you wrote. Dan Delzell is an author for the Christian Post. You can find his writings at the uh, ChristianPost.com. And he's also a pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska, which is a suburb of Omaha. And uh, we talked about hell, but today we're going to talk about Satan and the seven symptoms when Satan blinds your mind. And uh, welcome. Thank you for coming back. Well, thank you, Sean. Yeah, I've really been enjoying our discussions on these topics. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, of course, as well. So the, uh, the articles that you write and what we've been talking about, obviously, and of course, the, the whole point of the conversation is looking at things through a biblical perspective. And especially when it comes to things like hell, we don't have a lot of tangible things. So we have to go to scripture and, and look and see what it says. And then even when it comes to something like Satan, you know, it's, it's we don't see him. He's not tangible. So we have to right. go to you know resources, and of course the resource that we're going to use is the Bible. And so the seven symptoms when Satan blinds you or blinds your mind is based on Scripture, and mm-hmm. it's a it's a, a passage that uh, you you read to base this article on. And I was wondering if maybe you can share that with us quickly before we delve into you the uh, conversation. You bet, son. You know what really um, led me to write the article was a passage in Second Corinthians chapter four. In verse 3, it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, small g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, you know, that's a very, very insightful and interesting passage of Scripture, Son, because it helps us to begin to wrap our minds around why you've got, you know, on one hand, believers who readily accept the gospel, people like you and I, and I'm sure, you know, um, many who are listening, but not everyone who's listening, uh, but, but many in our world today who identify as Christian, as, as a believer, um, do so because they see the gospel message, they see the good news that, that Christ is our Savior and that he died on the cross for our sins and that we're forgiven through faith in him. And then on the flip side of the coin, you got unbelievers. Uh, and, you know, the unbeliever is in the position, according to Scripture here, where their mind has been blinded by, by Satan. Uh, and so it's a, it's a spiritual, supernatural power that Satan has um, to blind the mind. And, you know, this helps to explain something, Son, because, you know, if you and I were to have, let's say, 100 coronavirus patients who were all given um, 
a particular drug. And I know they've talked about different drugs that they hope will work, but let's just say there's one now that they're using. And let's say, you know, 99 or 100 of those patients, you know, all recovered fairly quickly. You know, most Americans, let's say, would, would be able to recognize that. And, um, and let's just say the clinical trial was involved, you know, 3,000 patients other than just 100. And, and so doctors and scientists and all sorts of people were saying, yep, you know, according to this trial, uh, you know, this drug is it. You know, this is the one. This is the, uh, the game changer. Okay, so most Americans would be able to look at that rationally and accept that and understand that. But when it comes to the much deeper issue of sin, uh, much deeper than the coronavirus, because the coronavirus cannot kill your soul. It can't send your soul to hell. It can't keep you separated from your creator, from God. Um, but sin can. Uh, but when it comes to that, you know, the Bible tells us the answer is the death of Jesus on the cross and the blood that he shed that cleanses our sin through faith and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So that, of course, is John three sixteen. That's the gospel. So why do so many see it and yet so many don't see it? Well, this verse on uh, helps us to understand why uh, those who don't see it don't. They don't get it. They don't see it. If you're blind, you can't see. If you're living in, in darkness and, and your, the eyes in your body you know, are blind, you're going to be in physical darkness there in the physical world. But if your spiritual eyes are blind, you're going to be living in spiritual darkness. And, and, and so whereas you and I cherish the gospel, we've accepted it, we believe the good news, we trust Christ as our Savior, um, there are lots of very intelligent people even, you know, who some are more intelligent than others. I mean, it's no different really across the board, whether you be a believer or not. It's not your IQ that gets you into the kingdom of heaven. It, it, it's faith in Jesus. And this verse tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. So so this is the key, Son, and, and so that's why I wrote the article, uh, Seven Symptoms When Satan Blinds Your Mind, and um, folks who don't believe in Jesus, they just can't see it the same way that they and you and I would, would be able to look at a coronavirus clinical test and a, and a medicine and say, hey, that works. We all see that. We all get that. Not so with the gospel. You know, one of the symptoms that you mentioned is that people or Satan will believe you, get you to believe that there is no God and that you can do it all through your good deeds. And I think there's some religions out there that do promote the concept of good works. Works will get you into heaven. Works will get you into the better afterlife. Uh, the more you do in this world, that's for good. Um, people like to use Mother Teresa as an example, and I don't want to, uh, you know, I'm not judging anybody, but people would look to someone like Mother Teresa and be like, oh, there's no doubt in my mind that she's in heaven. Right. But in all honesty, it would be her heart, and that's something between her and God only, that would right. uh, determine whether or not she's in heaven. You know, but all those good works that she did yeah. were tremendous for people here on earth. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. all those good works that she did doesn't mean anything when it comes to eternal salvation because it is a commitment. It is something that you have to believe. It's something that you have to do with your heart and on your inside yeah. as opposed to your yeah. outward deeds that you do. Well, that, that's right, Son. You know, the, uh, the analogy that comes to mind I think of like, okay, you're out there in California, of course. I think about 
all of the, the along the coast there, all of the sand, you know, I think about, you know, what would it, what would it be like if somebody were to try to um, build a house, let's say, on the sand uh, as, as compared to a, a concrete foundation? Well, we know what's going to happen if you build something on sand, okay? Um, and yet, in the Bible, what we come to see is that until a person is converted through faith in Jesus, and at that point, the Bible says you're redeemed, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're justified, you're born again, you become a child of God um, on the front end. And that's what makes Christianity unique. Um, virtually every other religion song, it dangles this carrot out in front of people and says, jump through enough hoops. And if you do a good enough job, you know, hopefully you'll be able to achieve everlasting bliss in, in what, however that religion might define that. Well, Christianity comes along. And Christianity doesn't offer up, you know, something uh, like that. Instead, instead, Christianity, in the person of Jesus, offers eternal life as a free gift to all who will receive Jesus by faith and place their faith not in their works, but in, in Christ. And when you do that, um, then the concrete foundation is laid. And then all of the works that you do, it's kind of like the house on top of the, the foundation. Now, you don't get into heaven because of the house. You get into heaven because of the foundation. And in 1 Corinthians, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So to use your example, be it like Mother Teresa, be it anybody, you know, any you know, famous person or not, um, the only way any person, regardless, regardless of their pedigree or, or their fame or, or you know, whatever, um, the only way anybody can get into heaven is to be born again. You know, Jesus said, you must be born again. And so that's saying you must be saved, you must be redeemed, you must be forgiven, you must be justified, um, you must have the foundation laid. You must repent and believe the good news, which was Jesus' first sermon in Mark 1.15. So when a person does that, the concrete foundation is laid, and at that point you're made an heir of everlasting life. Um, and God, the Bible tells us, gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So now we have this other analogy, almost like a checking account or savings account, really. Um, God places into our account the Holy Spirit, who he places inside of us. Our bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit, and he steals us. The Bible uses that word. He steals us with the Holy Spirit um, until, un until the day of redemption. In other words, he will keep us in the fold. He will keep us with him. Um, he, will, he will watch over us. He will forgive our sins. He will guide us. He'll convict us of sin when we go astray. He'll... He'll give us wisdom. Of course, he wants us to stay in the word. You know, we talked, you know, last week about having that conversation uh, with, with God and, and how we, we hear from him in his word. We um, talk to him in prayer. But uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so that's that's the thing, son. And so many people, um, by, by nature, we tend to assume, you know, our good works can, um, can, can, can outweigh our, if our good works outweigh our bad deeds, then hopefully, you know, we'll get in. Well, that is completely contrary to the gospel. And not that the gospel is not concerned with good works or that God doesn't want us doing good works, of course. But here's the thing. Until you become a believer in Jesus, you know how many good works a person has done in God's eyes, son? Zero. Zero. Well, but they, they serve at the, at the homeless shelter. They've done zero good works in God's eyes. Well, they're, they're kind to their neighbors. They're, they're a moral person. You see, God is not impressed with a person's works. And Isaiah spelled it out very clearly. He said, all of your righteousness, uh, all of your righteous acts, rather, are like filthy rags. 
so, so, you know, there were people relying upon their outward deeds, but their hearts weren't right with God. And, and when we come into the New Testament to get the new heart, you've got to be born again. You've got to be saved and forgiven. So this is, this is where these theological terms on justification and sanctification come in. And they're very, very significant because justification uh, points to the, to the foundation. And that's a fixed thing. That's a past event for the believer. Sanctification is the building of the house, which God is actually the builder. He's building that house of, of, of the Christian life in every believer, but that's on top of the foundation. So the thief on the cross, when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he had the foundation laid. That was it. But he got into heaven. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, sometimes people think, well, I'll wait till the end of my life. I'll, I'll be like him. Sadly, I would, I would guess 99% of people who say that, they, they never get saved. Because if you put it off today, what happens, I would say maybe 99 times out of 100, son, is people who put it off today and, and, and think that way, they never get around to it. Because you can't just come to the Lord, you know, on your timetable. I mean, if God's extending an invitation to you today, boy, you better take him up on it. Because it may not be there tomorrow. And you may not sense any call from God tomorrow, you know, uh, for that matter. Well, we've talked about it too, Dan, in the past that um, tomorrow's not promised to us and we never know if tomorrow's even going to come for us. I mean, how many people, I think there's 60,000 people that have passed away, unfortunately, from this coronavirus. And before this coronavirus started, there's 60,000 people that thought that, you know, they probably had their plans for the next number of years already planned out, maybe summer vacations, right. you know, who knows what they had planned. And unfortunately, a, something like a virus had come and taken that away from them. And so we can't... Uh, plan for the future from our um, our spiritual perspective and push it off because we don't know if tomorrow is going to come. Plus, like you said, the invitation might be withdrawn and, and uh, which, you know, is probably a conversation for a different time, but you know, now's the time to act if we're going to do it, you know, act now. Well, and, and I can just hear Satan whispering to people, you know, put it off another day, put it off another day. You know, sometimes son, I will pull up a song on YouTube that I just love to listen to. Um, you know, when, when they sang this song um, at, a, at a particular event that I'll mention here in a moment, I, I thought it was so powerful. But anyway, uh, when Whitney Houston passed away, the Winans, who are just such an amazing uh, family of gospel singers, the Winans uh, sang a special song at her funeral service, and it was on national TV, this funeral, but they sang the song Tomorrow. And sometimes I'll just pull that up and listen to it because it is so powerful and it is so anointed. And, and, and it really just, it just calls people to come to the Lord today because we're not promised tomorrow. And, and so it was just such a, a powerful song. And I would invite any listeners to, to just go to YouTube and just uh, search um, tomorrow, you know, the Winans at Whitney Houston's funeral, you'll pull it up. And um, it is just, it, it's a call from the Lord to make you know, make it into the kingdom today because tomorrow may never come. And sadly for Whitney Houston and, and, and for many, I mean, you know, their, their life is, is snuffed out far before they would have ever expected it. And just like you said, son, with, uh, you know, some of these coronavirus and many of them, if not all of them, I mean, they weren't expecting this, uh, not until it hit. And then for many of them, it probably went very fast, you know, and sadly, um, some of them who were, other than calling on the Lord and having him with them, I mean, many of them wouldn't have had family by their side. So just a tragic uh, situation, but it just shows uh, how critical it is that we get right with God, because this life is so fragile. And one thing the coronavirus has done is it's reminded us just how fragile life is. And it's just like that verse in James, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. 
And boy, is that ever true, son. I mean, every day we hear a famous person, you know, entering eternity. And for that one famous person, you know, how many thousands in America and many thousands more around the world are entering eternity this very day into one of two extreme eternal destinations, either heaven or hell. Jesus made it clear those are the only two places your soul can go and, and you'll have a, a new body to go with that soul, whether you end up going to heaven or hell. But this is why the person needs Christ today, son, and, and uh, tomorrow is not promised. Dan Dozell with me. We're uh, talking about seven symptoms when Satan blinds your mind. Uh, Dan is an author at the Christian Post, and you can see the article at the uh, ChristianPost.com. Just search his name; it pops up. And and Dan, one of the things that uh, I guess, as the saying goes, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's this road that we travel. We've talked about it. There's the road to hell. There's the road to heaven. There's our paths that we take. And so when we refuse to trust Jesus and repent of our sins and we turn our back on him and we, you know, refuse the invitation to accept him, we're on the road to hell. And a lot of people, I think, kind of get that confused with their good intentions. You know, they, they think that because I am uh, doing good things, I'm not on the road to hell. But in actuality, yeah. you, again, it's not about works or anything like that or intention. So we take that off the table. And ultimately, you're still on this road. And so when you refuse mm-hmm. to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, people don't think that. They don't realize that they're on the road to hell as opposed to their right. journey to heaven. No, they, they really don't, son. And, and you know, uh, I heard of a, a survey a few years ago where, according to at least this survey, something like 1% of Americans uh, said that they, they felt like, you know, they would be going to hell. Um, you know, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so even though God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, and the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance, the bottom line there is, sadly, son, many are on the road to hell, even though Satan has deceived them into assuming they're not. And so let's say the person who's not trusting Jesus for salvation, but maybe they're trusting in their morality. Maybe they're not really trusting in anything like that. Maybe they're just assuming there is no heaven, there is no hell. But whatever the case, uh, Satan, because Satan hates you, my friend, he hates all of us, because he wants to see you suffer. He doesn't care what you believe as long as it's not believing in Jesus. He doesn't care whether you're an atheist. In, in many ways, he wouldn't care if you followed a particular religion. Uh, you know, for some, that inoculates them, it, it seems, uh, from, from the gospel. You know, because once a person, in many cases, feels like they got the religion box shut, why would I need Jesus? I'm doing fine with my religion, you know? So this is, this is one of Satan's lies. This is one of the ways he blinds people. And, and you know, Son, the, the thing about this is nobody gets a do-over. You know, we talked uh, uh, last week, I, I guess maybe it was a couple weeks ago when we talked about the conversation with God. I said last week, well, last week I think we were talking about hell, and we talked about that uh, rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. And, you know, wasn't it interesting to hear this guy, uh, he went to hell not because he was rich, but because he loved his riches and he didn't love the Lord, he didn't know the Lord. And then all of a sudden he wanted to become an evangelist. He wanted to go back and warn his brothers, you know, because now he was in hell. And this is the way it works, son. Uh, people many times don't take hell seriously uh, until they get there. And that's the tragedy of it, but you can't leave. You know, there are no doors in hell. There's, it's not a revolving door. You don't come in for a while and then check out, okay? Um, once you go there, you are there for eternity. And uh, just like that saying, you know, there are no uh, atheists in foxholes. 
I wrote an article years ago entitled, uh, uh, There Are No Atheists in Hell. Because once you go to hell, son, a person has full knowledge of why he or she is there. It was, it was my sin that sent me there. It's my sin. I, I'm paying for my own sin. Uh, I did not place my sin under the blood of Jesus. And see, people in hell know that. They, they have that knowledge, but they don't right now. Satan doesn't need to blind you when you're in hell. He's accomplished his purpose, okay? He, he's got no business. He wouldn't waste his time trying to blind anybody's mind in hell because that's the ultimate punishment and penalty for the soul. And if Satan can, can lead a person there, that's the best he can hope for. Now he's moving on to those who are still on earth, you know, because once a person's in hell, they're locked in a prison. You know, hell is a prison. Hell is a, a prison with tremendous pain. Jesus described it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, and no, you know, anybody listening to this, uh, son and I, we don't fully understand all this, but, but we believe it because God said it. Well, we can't fully explain to you, you know, why God allows people to go there, but neither can we fully explain to you why God sent his only son to suffer and die for us and for all sinners, you know? So these things are above our pay grade, but God has chosen to reveal them to us in scripture He's given us an evidence-based faith in Christianity. We talked about the resurrection and all the evidence for that. He's given us the universe in which he, he, he points to his glory and, and who he is as the creator. And uh, meanwhile, you know, the atheists, God loves atheists, but, but they have a blind faith. You know, they have a blind faith in an ideology that says something came from nothing. Um, it's not only not scientific, it's impossible. Um, and, and yet, you know, Satan has blinded sometimes, in some cases, some very intelligent people. You're talking about, you know, some of the most intelligent people uh, who have been duped, you know, and it's just tragic to see uh, anybody being duped by Satan, but he, he's a master at it, son. He's been doing it for, uh, you know, many centuries, and he's not going to give up until he gets tossed in the lake of burning sulfur. It, it describes in Revelation 2010, uh, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So when we get to that point, son, Satan will be tormented day and night in the lake of burning sulfur. Um, he won't be blinding any more minds. He'll have his own uh, pain to be dealing with. But right now, for whatever reason, God has kind of given him some, some, uh, oh, uh, some, some ability to do this. You know, the God of this age, he's like a pit bull on a chain. You know, he can only go as far as God lets him go. Uh, interesting, even when Job, remember Job in the Old Testament, um, when Job was afflicted by Satan, Satan could only go as far as God let him go. But even then, uh, God had Job in his hands. Uh, Job was one of God's, but, but Satan was, was allowed to torment him. You know, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament describes a thorn in his flesh, and he describes it as a messenger of Satan. So, you know, things this pit bull, and, and God will sometimes let the pit bull do some things, we don't fully understand that, but one day that pit bull will be thrown into a lake of burning sulfur. Um, there'll be no more chain on him. He won't have any more freedom on earth. You know, there'll be just heaven and hell, you know, going forward at that point. And that's why, you know, to bring it back to the essential, every listener today, um, should he, Jesus's call, you must be born again. Because you don't, my friend, you do not want to go to the lake of fire. You don't want to go there. Even if right now you might say, well, you know, I had a bad religious experience or, you know, uh, these people judge me or whatever. Okay, so maybe you were around some professing Christian who didn't really know the Lord, maybe. You know, let's just say they were very judgmental or whatever. That's not Jesus, okay? And don't let them be responsible in part for you making the decision to, to reject Jesus. Because if that were to happen and you were to end up in the lake of fire, um, it's not going to matter who said what or did what. 
all you'll be wishing is, why didn't I go with Jesus? Why didn't I go with the winner? Why did I let Satan blind my mind, okay? So, so that's on. It's why when we talk about these things, as you and I know, and every believer knows, this is not make-believe. It's not a myth, you know. This is real-world stuff, and it lasts forever. So uh, today is the day of salvation. Dan Delzell with me. And Dan, you mentioned atheists. And one of the things I've always found fascinating when I've come across them is that they deny the existence of God or maybe a uh, higher being depends on their belief in atheism. Because a couple times I've had people tell me two different things about atheism, about their atheism anyways. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're denying yeah. God, basically. Let's put it that way. But yet it's interesting because the human spirit, I think, is designed to seek God because these people will go and they will do anything else. I remember a colleague of mine one time, a professed atheist, did not, uh, something happened. I forget what it was specifically, but uh, it was in the workplace. And, and this uh, colleague of mine wanted to invite people to a meditation, a yoga type meditation where we just meditate mm-hmm. on, uh, right. on whatever and, and, and hopes to make it us feel better. And right. I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, okay, if we're, if we're going to meditate on something, what are we meditating on if we don't believe in anything? Um, I know there's right. people that, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, it, it's, it was, it's kind of ironic that they want to meditate on something, but what are we meditating on? And then you see people just in life, they go from one thing to the next. I know people who start out, you know, they're vegetarians and then that didn't fulfill them. So then they get into, you know, saving the world, the earth, earth day, things like that. Then that doesn't fulfill <laughs> them. And so then they get yeah. into, you know, some other nuttiness, uh, you know, cause mm-hmm. in California, there's all kind of nuttiness that goes on and, and you start to mm-hmm. see them just searching and then one thing doesn't fulfill them. So they go to the next and then to the next and then to yeah. the next. And yet all this time, all this effort that they're putting into searching for that fulfillment, they're denying yeah. it. And they're like saying, no, that doesn't exist. But yet I'm still seeking it. And I find that yeah. fascinating when it comes to, you know, people that claim to be atheists that want to, de- want to deny God, but yet they're still seeking him, but they're <laughs> seeking him through anything else because they want to deny him. Well, you know, that, that's so true, son. And, and it reminds me of something very much related to that. You know, when Christopher Hitchens, the famous atheist, wrote his book, God is Not Great, you know, many people observe, you know, isn't it interesting that, you know, for somebody who doesn't believe in God, uh, you know, he, he sure doesn't mind writing a book about this God he doesn't believe in. So, you know, here's what, here's what goes on, son. You know, the whole thing that we're talking about, it grips the soul. You know, whether a person was raised in a Christian home or not, you know, whether they had that blessing or not, whether they maybe came to know Christ later in life uh, and were blessed to do that. Everybody is gripped by this void within our soul that only God can fill. Um, we're all sinners. And, and as you said so beautifully there, son, everybody's searching for a way to, you know, make sense of this whole deal. Um, but, but once you meet Christ and once you start to understand the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, he, 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 um, he enables us to understand the word. You know, something like this thing we're talking about today where, where the God of this age, Satan, has blighted the minds of unbelievers. You know, it, it's like two plus two is four, you know. Once you're on the inside, almost like those children in the Chronicles of Narnia, when, you know, they walked into the wardrobe and then they went out the back of the wardrobe into Narnia, this new land. Once you enter into Christ through faith, once you enter into his kingdom, you know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's like the scales come off your eyes. So in some ways, I mean, you know, we could talk to a blue in the face about spiritual things and, and, and this and that, you know, uh, to an atheist or to whoever, uh, an unbeliever, or even a person of a, you know, another religion, let's say. Um, the bottom line is this, Son, until the scales come off the eyes, a person won't even understand the, just the basic, basic, basic message of Christianity. Um, it, it doesn't operate like mathematics, you know. 
you can't sit down and teach somebody like you could teach a two plus two is four. Um, the only way to get it is to be brought into the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit as you repent and believe the good news. And so as we preach repentance and faith, as we proclaim the gospel, the Holy Spirit works to bring people into the kingdom. And, and this is a mystery, you know, but it, it's like the children going through the back of that wardrobe. And so if somebody listening today, let's say, son, is not a believer, then my friend, you're, you're like in the wardrobe right now. And, and all you have to do is just kind of let God bring you into this new realm. Simply trust Christ as your Savior. You don't have to work for it. Um, you can stop trying to rely on good works to, um, you know, to get into heaven because the bottom line is this. A thousand of your works uh, would never even take away the stain of one of your sins. And you and I have tens of thousands of sins, okay? So think about that. A thousand of your good works. How many days would it take you to do that? It would not even remove the stain of one sin in your life or mine, okay? Only the blood of Jesus has that power. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. In him that is in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So today, my friend, if you will place your sin under the blood, in other words, say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please wash away my sin with your blood. That's what will happen. He will do it. You'll be forgiven, saved, born again, justified, and redeemed. You'll go through the wardrobe. You'll come out into Narnia. You'll be in this whole new realm. It's like, how did I not see this? Why didn't I get this? Okay, so conversion is the key, spiritual conversion spiritual conversion. And, and if you're not sure whether you've been converted, then it's very possible that you haven't, or very likely even that you haven't. You know, well, how do I know if I'm converted? Well, am I trusting Jesus as my Savior, or am I trusting in my works, okay? Am I, am I committed to living for Christ, or am I committed to living for sin? Am I committed to living for, say, unbelief and for some other sin? Uh, the greatest sin is unbelief, because that's really, in, in many ways, the unforgivable sin. You know, if you die in unbelief, you die without Christ. And there's only one uh, there's only one place the person without Christ can go in eternity, you know, and, and Jesus made that very clear. So heaven and hell, they're both, you know, available right now today. The question is, where do you want to go? Um, do you want to be in paradise when you die? If so, this is the path. Jesus is the narrow road. Jesus is actually the gate. He's the door. He said, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So, so there it is, son. It's, it's a beautiful message for anyone, you know, who will come to Christ uh, by faith with the faith of a child. You know, one of the things, Dan, that I like to throw out there for people that are searching things. So they go to their yoga, then their Zumba, then they're vegetarian, and then they're this and they're that, and they're finding unfulfillment. It's like, okay, you spent three months being a vegetarian and that didn't work out for you. You spent a couple months doing this, that didn't work out for you. You spent a couple months, mm-hmm. you know, searching Buddha, that didn't work out for you. You know, you, you ran across Europe for eat, love, pray, finding your soul. Try God, right. mm-hmm. you know, try God for those two, three months. Because if yeah. you're trying everything else and it's not working out, then why not try, try God? And if it doesn't work out and you don't like it, then, you know, uh, go on to something else. But chances are, if you give him that two, three months, I mean, it just takes probably an instant, but I'm just saying, you know, give him the time that you gave all these other things. And if you still don't yeah. like it, it still doesn't work out, then you can move it on to something yeah. else. But chances yeah. are, you give him that time, your life That's is going right. to change. And it's going to be something oh that goodness, you never God. would have expected. So just try well, God. I will say, come near to God and he'll come near to you. You know, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Uh, you know, but it's interesting in that passage, um, it, it goes on to say, um, wash your hands, you sinners. Okay. And, and that's an interesting thing because here's the deal, son, you know, everybody today understands the need to wash hands with the coronavirus, um, to maybe wear a mask, to social distance, um, to, uh, you know, use all these safety precautions as well. We should. 
So when the Bible says, wash your hands, you sinners, okay, it's not talking about something like coronavirus. It's talking about the, the deeper virus of sin. And so it's saying, turn from sin. Um, you know, uh, confess your sin to God. You know, recognize that you need him. Um, so come near to God and he'll come near to you. It's exactly what Son just said. You know, you, you said it beautifully there, Son. If a person will just, you know, um, begin to um, begin to come to the Lord, um, you know, God will, will definitely meet you more than halfway there. Um, you know, I think about the prodigal son. When he came home, the father was waiting right there for him. And, and, and you know, my friend, one of the lies is Satan. Maybe he's even told you this lie. Well, you know, um, you don't want to be a Christian. You don't want to be like those judgmental people. Hey, let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit is moving within a Christian, the last thing he or she ever is is judgmental. Okay, I'm not saying there haven't been professing Christians who've been judgmental, but I'm talking about the real deal. Um, because when God is moving in you, you can honestly say, you know what, my, my sin is at least as great as anybody else's sin, even though I'm forgiven, you know, because that's what God will do in your heart. There are all sorts of lies that Satan tells us, and maybe you bought into some of them, but he's, remember, his goal was to keep you away from Jesus. And so he'll point to, um, you know, so-called, you know, maybe Christians who, who were not acting right, or he'll point to this, or he'll point to that. Uh, you know, all these different excuses, because remember, he hates you. He wants you to suffer. He doesn't want you near Jesus, okay? He doesn't want you near Jesus. So uh, once you get near Jesus, once you get Jesus in you, you know, through faith, uh, then your heart will begin to change, um, and your mind and your attitude, and mainly the biggest thing that will change is you'll no longer be trusting in yourself. You'll be trusting in Christ for salvation. You'll be trusting in him to guide you, to lead you, to help you, you know, and um, when you accept Christ, you'll begin to look at others, um, not in a judgmental way, but but in a way that says, wow, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I, you know, I fall far short. Um, I need God. I need Christ to forgive me. And I just thank God that he has. So, you know, it, it's a great world here in Narnia, my friend. Uh, if you haven't if you haven't been in here, don't listen to the critics. You know, uh, I mean, think about how many people go to hell because they believe what the critics said rather than what the king of the universe said. You know, in that movie, Chronicle of Narnia, um, you know, uh, Jesus was represented there by the lion, of course. And, and so, you know, he is the lion of Judah. Uh, Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. My friend, you'd be wise to listen to him. He created you. He loves you. He died for your sins. Yes, the son of God, you know, died for your sins and he rose again. So uh, don't even listen to other Christians if that gets in the way. Just listen to Christ, okay? Go to the Word of God. Don't leave today or this world without Jesus because you'll never, ever be able to do anything about it if you leave this world without Christ. Dan Dilzell with me talking about his article from the Christian Post, Seven Symptoms When Satan Blinds Your Mind. And, and Dan, you, uh, you mentioned there that uh, one of the you know, things that we've been talking about is, is deeds, you know, Good deeds, people think good deeds can make up for bad deeds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the thousand so-called good deeds can't wash away that right. one bad deed. It's kind of interesting right. because, you know, a lot of schools have closed down now and they're doing work remotely, students are. And one of the things that seems to be kind of, uh, or at least came up, was that grades for students. So students, a lot of schools were going to just give grades from last semester and that would be the grades for the students this semester. And so basically the works that they were doing this semester really wasn't going to count, it seemed like. And so the yeah. question then became, why should I do this if there's no reward for that? And then, right. of course, people had to kind of alter that thought and be like, okay, well, we need to somehow include this 
semester's work into the grade because otherwise students are just going to stop showing up. Right. And so, right. um, and so it's kind of like that good deed. So, you know, if we're doing good deeds and we're not, and we're not following Jesus, it's like those mm-hmm. good deeds are wasted. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that to dismiss it and be like, mm-hmm. Hey, don't do mm-hmm. good deeds. But it's like, right. if, if you're, right. if you're with Jesus and you're doing good deeds, those good deeds yeah. are going to multiply a whole lot yeah. more because people are not only going to see the good deeds that you do, but then they're going right. to glorify God who is in heaven. And then it's going to present with them an opportunity to be like, Hey, there's something more to this than just the deed that I'm doing. Whereas somebody yeah. else, it might just be, okay, this is the deed you're doing, great, you help somebody out, fantastic, that's it, end of story. But the good deeds yeah. you do as a Christian might come back to be like, hey, why did you do that? Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my testimony. Yeah. Let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah. Why did you do this? Yeah. You know. And I think about the, uh, the missionaries that went to India early back in the early days of evangelism of India, and they didn't preach the gospel. They just were there and they were just in the community with the people making a difference by their actions. And then when their right. good deeds were like, Hey, why are you doing this to us? It was like, Oh, right. now let me open up the Bible and tell you all about Jesus. And yeah. so it's yeah. like, are we going to be doing works that then will lead to nothing and not even really count kind of like the schoolwork? Yeah. Or are we going to want to do those good deeds and make yeah. it so that it does mean something beyond the work. So again, everybody should be doing good deeds because that's just right. humanity. I don't want people to misconstrue right. that. But the purpose yeah. behind it and the, the the value behind it goes beyond just yeah. that act yeah. when we're following yeah. Jesus because it could open up to the doors to many other things, including potentially yeah. the salvation yeah. of a soul that might have been lost. Well, you know, Son, that that is just, uh, those are such excellent points. And it makes me think about the fact that there are so many people in the world who are behaving as righteously as they know how to behave. And yet, in spite of that, you know what the Bible says, Son? It says they're under a curse, okay? Um, all who rely on observing the law, the Bible says, are under a curse. So what does that mean? Well, all who rely on their works to gain entrance into the kingdom of God are under a curse. What does that mean? It means you're not in. You're not forgiven. Um, those, as Hassan just said, those those deeds, while they may have, have, have provided certainly, um, you know, some some short term help. I mean, if if you went and and bought groceries for your neighbor who's at home during the lockdown, I mean, certainly your neighbor is appreciating that, and that was a benefit to your neighbor. But but here's what the Bible's saying: the Bible is saying ultimately you're still under a curse. Okay, if you're relying on the law to save your soul, that is. If you are relying upon your obedience to God's commandments, if you're relying upon your morality, you're under a curse. What does that mean? It means you'll stand before God on judgment day, and he's not going to open up a book and praise you for even one of those deeds or grocery trips you made. You know what's going to get opened up that day? All of the times you broke God's laws, all of the times you thought a wrong thought or said a wrong word or did a wrong deed because God is perfect. He has to do that. He's perfect in justice. Okay. So your sin will have to be punished to the full extent of the law as a lawbreaker. And if you go into the courtroom under a curse, you leave the courtroom just to be sentenced to hell. That's the only place you can go. I realize how, how wild this message is. I realize that this isn't something that, that man came up with. It's something that God gave us in his word. And, and uh, you know, the Lord doesn't want you to go to hell. Um, Christ died so you can go to heaven. God doesn't want you to be under a curse. Um, that's why Christ died on the cross. And so the message of the gospel, remember, the gospel is, is veiled to those who are perishing. 
but the message nevertheless of the gospel is that all who repent and believe the good news of Jesus are forgiven and saved. And you come out from under that curse then when you're converted. Remember, we talked about the foundation. When the foundation's laid, then you're no longer building on sand. Then those grocery trips to the store for your neighbor who's in lockdown, guess what? God accepts those works now. Why? Because of Jesus. Not because now somehow you're just this you know, great person all of a sudden, but guess what? You're in God's family, and God can only accept the works of those who, who are in his family. Why? Because he's perfect. Because he's perfect. That's the only way God can receive us is through the perfect one, Jesus, and his perfect blood that was shed, his perfect death. So, so this mindset, Son, that we, we, we try to help people see, the only reason any of us who, who do see it, the only reason we see it is because God has shown us in Scripture what the gospel is all about, okay? And it took, you know, you mentioned missionaries, Son. It took missionaries, you know, over the centuries, uh, many of whom were persecuted or even martyred for their faith. It took them doing what they did so that we would have the gospel today and God working through them, okay? So, so yes, this message has been going now for 2,000 years. Uh, God's word long before that, of course, but the gospel was revealed in, in Jesus, in his ministry, in his life, his death. So, so this is, this is where, um, a person is at, son. They're either under a curse, or maybe very moral, but under a curse, or in Christ. Those are the only two options the Bible gives us. Uh, and when we come into the New Testament, it becomes very, very clear. Um, you know, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, the apostles after Pentecost, they, they proclaimed Peter and John, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So Christ is the only way. And, and as hard as that may be for some to hear, um, you know, it doesn't make it untrue. It just means that it doesn't come naturally to us to believe this. But but it is absolutely the truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Dan Delzell with me. And Dan, one of the things that we've been going through recently is the coronavirus. And there's been a lot of warnings out there. You know, we've, we've social distanced because we think that's going to help, uh, you know, stop the spread. You know, we wear masks, at least here in California. You know, we have to wear masks outside when we go outside to the store and stuff and gloves. Mm-hmm. You know, we put gloves on, which I find is fascinating because people will wear gloves. Then they'll touch everything in the store and then they'll grab oh, yeah. their phone. They'll touch their phone with the gloves on and then the right, phone goes to their right. face or they touch their face with the gloves and monkey with their mask and so anyways it's just kind of ironic how we still do all these things to try to be preventive but yet we still expose ourselves we still expose ourselves to it because of our actions and so uh but but we do take the warnings but it's interesting how when we have like the conversations we've been having you know kind of just sharing the the warning signs of you know where you can go you can either go to heaven or hell in the uh afterlife whether you choose to accept jesus or not and yet we still have people that want to um well, they don't take these things seriously. You know, I know people that actually do recognize Jesus. I mean, I worked on a show, in fact, uh, a show where you and I originally met. And I remember a yeah. few times we'd call, uh, we'd do topics about um, Christianity and religion. And, for example, one would be, is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? And people would okay. adamantly say they are Christians, Bible-believing Christians, but Jesus isn't the only way. And so right. they, they kind of have these, you know, warnings the, that, that we talk about, but yet people don't take them serious or it gets muddied up. You know, maybe like you said, Satan blinds the mind with the, with these things, but yet people don't want to take it serious. They will rather, or they take the masks and the gloves and the social distancing. They take that and that's, you know, serious and they'll take those warnings and hold on to them. But yet right. when it comes to the right. afterlife, the warnings that they're given, yeah. they just dismiss it. 
And it's like the afterlife is way more important because the, the safety that you're taking in this life, that's great. Yeah. But what about when we end this life, what's going to happen and those warning signs that you neglected? Well, you're exactly right, son. And, and we see that every day. I mean, it kind of goes back to kind of what we said at the beginning of our talk today. And that is that, you know, people will be able to recognize uh, maybe a, a clinical trial on maybe a, a medicine if they come up with a vaccine or, or they'll be able to understand, you know, how maybe a mask or gloves, uh, social distancing can, can be a benefit. And, and yet when we talk about sin and death and heaven and hell, it's almost like people's eyes sometimes glaze over, you know, and, and this is so, so tragic, Sandy, because you, you would think it would be just the opposite. You, you would think that people would say, wow, you know, um, yeah, I am concerned about, you know, hopefully the 80, 90 years I hope to have here on earth in good health. But, but man, when it comes to eternity, boy, please let, let me, let me know what, what, what the truth is there because I want to make sure I'm on the right road. But we, we don't see that. But, but son, this is part of, we talked about like that dreamlike state that, that people can be in, um, here, you know, during this pandemic, you know, some people are having pandemic dreams and nightmares and so forth. Well, in many ways, people are, are living in the dream right now. That, that, that Christianity is just kind of ho-hum, it's no big deal, you know, all this talk about heaven and hell, you know, you, it's almost like folks can be in a zombie-like state, you know, this is what sin does, son, it, it so desensitizes a person to the reality of what's going on around them, they don't even know, they, they don't even realize the danger that they're in, and, and, and yet on the, on the level of the coronavirus, you know, many of those same people, they get that. But the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to, um, you know, your heart being veiled, uh, a veil being over your heart and your eyes. And so there's scales over your eyes. And, and you know, it does go back to the fact that, you know, many people, they, they don't recognize what it means to be a lawbreaker um, in, in God's courtroom. They, they don't believe that, you know, they're in any danger of being sent to prison forever, um, you know. And yet some of those same people say, I don't want to go, you know, 10 miles over the speed limit, or, or I don't want to do this, or I don't want to do that, because, boy, I sure hate to, you know, uh, have them catch me doing that. You know, they get that, you know, they get that. But but but, but Jesus comes along and says, um, you know, uh, we all must appear, you know, the Bible says we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and yet, you know, when we come to that, it's like a whole other ball game. So, so it does require the Holy Spirit working through the word to reveal to people that this isn't only true, but this is eternal. This is essential. This is urgent. Um, nothing is more urgent than this. And isn't it an interesting sign? It's kind of like that rich man in Luke 16. The people who become urgent of this message are those who are either born again or in hell. You know, those in hell, we, we learned from the rich man in Luke 16, they want to come back and warn their family members. But, but when they were here on earth, they weren't even concerned for their own soul, let alone their family members. So that's the way this thing works. But, but that's why the Bible says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Because in many ways, an unbeliever is almost living like the walking dead. You know, uh, they, they, they're just oblivious to it. And, and, and it takes God's uh, intervention. It takes this powerful message of the gospel, which the Bible says on uh, the gospel is the power of God unto the salvation of them that believe. So it's like this dynamite, this, 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 this dynamis, this, this, uh, that's the, the word there. It's the power of God to, to just break apart the hardness, the scales, the unbelief, 
And, and this is what happened to Saul of Tarsus. He was converted. He became the Apostle Paul. And my friend, this could happen to you today. If you'll repent of your sin and believe in Jesus as your Savior, the scales will come off your eyes. You'll say, man, I thought, you know, I thought Son and Dan were pretty crazy at first. But, man, now I see it. Now I get it. Okay, I'm on board. Um, yeah, I want to tell my family, too, well, I got time because I don't want them going to hell. I want them coming to heaven. And, and so, Son, this thing's going on for 2,000 years. You got the haves and the have-nots. You know, those who see and those who don't. Those who are blind and those who can see, and um, you know, those of us who can see, we can't we can't boast in anything we've done. It's only by God's grace, you know, amazing grace, you know, is the only thing we can boast in the cross of Jesus. And and, and but we can sure pray and work to, to help others uh, go from being one of the walking dead to being one of God's saved children. You know, Dan, one of the uh, things that is also you write in your article, Seven, Symptom, uh, Seven Symptoms When Satan Blinds Your Mind, and mm-hmm. it's something that I wanted to kind of conclude with is the fact that we've been talking about a lot of this, this stuff, and even the last couple of weeks, everything we've been talking about. And we mentioned a couple of weeks ago how, you know, the disciples, they were there during the crucifixion, the resurrection, saw Jesus, and then they went out and they spread the gospel. And they wouldn't have done that probably on a false religion, on a lie. They would have been like, mm-hmm. you know, they would have just given up and gone away, maybe back to fishing or whatever they were doing. But right. because they saw this to be true and they saw Jesus, they saw the evidence, they saw the facts. We're living right now in a time where science and data, 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 that's all we hear about. We can't do something unless we have the data, the facts, the evidence mm-hmm. behind it. For people that are still sitting there being like, I need to see facts, I need to see data, because we're dealing with something that is very uh, non-tangible. What I mean by that is we, the only thing we can have is the Bible. We can open it. We can yeah. read it. That's, that's the truth. But outside of that, yeah. we don't see anything. You know, it's like the wind. We see it rustling through the, the, the leaves, mm-hmm. but we can't actually see it. We see the clouds right. move, but we can't actually see it. But yet we know it's there because of the evidence. We see the rustling of the leaves, and we see the clouds moving, and we yeah. feel it. You know, but we can't, we can't, you know, see it. So how would you respond to somebody who still might have some doubt and they need evidence, they need the data, they need Mm -hmm. something because there is overwhelming evidence for Christ's resurrection, but some people, they just can't see it. What would you tell them? Well, I think, Son, you know, and again, we, 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 you know, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the evidence for the resurrection. I, I would invite a person to go back and listen to that. Uh, podcast and and see all the evidence for the resurrection, but but I'm just more of a um, you know just a very uh, kind of a, a quicker sort of thing. I, I I would say to a person, you know, it's like that verse in James, you know, come near to God and He will come near to you. Um, the evidence you seek, okay, it, it, it's in the Word of God, but it won't become real to you until you start to open up your heart to the Lord and, and start to let this get inside you and ultimately to let Christ get inside you. So, so you know, the, the evidence, I guess, is going to be there that if you choose to harden your heart, okay, then you will still continue to be lost. You will still continue to be confused. If you ignore this message, the evidence will be your own doubts and, and, and just reluctance to come to Christ will ultimately um, just feel very heavy to you and it will condemn you. Whereas if you come to Christ, if you come near to God and he'll come near to you, the evidence will be that God will show up and, and, and you'll begin to see that, you know, Jesus is real as, as I've opened up my heart to him. So, so it, it's not data in the same sense as maybe we might look at the, the, uh, the cure for coronavirus. Um, but it, it is nevertheless uh, evidence of a changed life. And I guess, unfortunately, maybe, um, that evidence really won't show up in full until 
you know, you, you, you take the step of faith, almost like Harrison Ford in, in uh, whichever one of the movies he was, uh, the one there uh, uh, where he stepped out onto the bridge uh, in order to get um, there across the, the chasm uh, there to get to the, uh, uh, the Holy Grail uh, there. And once he stepped out into the chasm, okay, it was there, okay? So, so was it there all along? Yes, it was there. But it took a step of faith, and then all of a sudden, it it um it appeared, okay, and then he could see. So in a way, you're almost like standing right there, and you're listening to two guys say, "Come on across." You say, "Why well, don't see the bridge?" Well, Jesus is there. I mean, he he he's not going to let you go. He he didn't create the world, create you, die on the cross, rise again for you to hear this message to step out there and fall. You're not going to fall. Just step into Christ. The evidence will follow. Your heart will you know, begin to, to accept it more and more. Your mind will start to wrap itself around it, but you've got to take a step of faith before you're going to really understand truly what we're talking about here. Yeah. It's kind of like the virus and the vaccine. You know, a lot of people are putting their faith in a vaccine and, and a vaccine, we're just assuming that the doctors are going to get it right. And we're just assuming that, you know, the doctors know what they're doing. So they inject us with a vaccine that hopefully keeps us from getting sick and that may or may not work, but people put their faith in that. This is something that we're yep. talking about as a vaccine toward eternal damnation, and it's something yep. that the evidence is there. But you also have to have faith. You know, we take a vaccine and have faith that it's going to work. We don't that's take right. a vaccine and be like, oh, it's not going to work. Uh, we have that's faith right. that it's going to work, and that's what we're doing here is we're just presenting you the evidence, the facts, the information. And so, A, yeah. part of it is you have to take it by faith and believe. That's right. And then when that's you right. do, you have the guarantee the thousand percent guarantee that it's going to work and that your life will be dramatically changed, especially when you get into eternity. And I'll conclude with this verse on to back up what you just said, you know, in John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? So, you know, we, we live in a world uh, where, you know, atheists have kind of conditioned some people to think that, you know, God owes everybody, um, you know, exactly whatever they need to be convinced. You know, when the bottom line is God doesn't owe us anything. He didn't have to give us anything, but he gave us everything. He gave us his son, and his son now says, do you believe this? Namely, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? So if you'll step out in faith, accept Jesus as your Savior, um, you will become convinced that he is true. Until you do that, you may not be. You, you may remain a skeptic. You could remain a skeptic your whole life. It is going to take a step of faith uh, in order for you to enter through this portal, um, in order you come come through the, the, the wardrobe of Nar- and into Narnia. It will take faith. That's why Jesus said, do you believe this? That's why Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, I don't know too many little children that are, are you know demanding evidence before they do things. Many times, if children have a loving parent or parents, they take them at their word, and they just follow their lead. And my friend, if you'll do that today, not not to Dan or Son, but to Jesus in his word, if you'll come near to him today, if you'll accept him as your Savior, he will not let you down. But it's going to take a step of faith. And remember what I said before, unbelief is the one unforgivable sin. So if, if you would rather stake your faith on, for example, the faith of an atheist, that something came from nothing, then that's a choice. But if you're, if you're willing to place your faith in your creator, in Jesus, and in the gospel, um, you'll be met right there where you're at. You'll be forgiven. You'll be saved. And then all the evidence, it'll become very, very clear to you. So uh, that may be where you find yourself today. I pray um, that you will uh, accept Christ's invitation, that you will place your faith in him today because, um, because God loves you, and that's exactly what, what he desires for you. 
Dan Delzell, the author of Seven Symptoms, When Satan Blinds Your Mind. You can find it at the uh, Christian Post. And and Dan, if someone wants to reach out via email, where can they find you? Uh, well, my email sign is just Dan Delzell, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L at cox.net, C-O-X.net. And so, yeah, a person could certainly email me. Uh, or if they wanted to watch some of the recent messages that have been posted online, uh, they could just do a search for Redeemer in Papillion, P-A-P-I-L-L-I-O-N, Papillion, Nebraska, and that would pull up uh, uh, a link there, and they could they could watch some of the uh, uh, some of the messages, the online video messages that uh, that I've done here in the last six weeks or so. And for me, you can find me on Instagram at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S at Instagram. And, and also you can find us, uh, these podcasts on Podbean. And if you go to my Instagram at Edom Rocks and you click the link in the bio, then a uh, page pops up and you can actually go to the Conversations of Faith, click it, and there we are, all the articles, I mean, all the, uh, the conversations that we've had. Uh, all right there for you to go back and listen to. And then it's also on other places like uh, Spotify, iHeart uh, Media Podcast. Um, you can probably Google search it and it all pops up. So, uh, Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Uh, we thank you for your time each and every week and for all the insight that you provide. And uh, look forward to uh, many more of these conversations as, uh, as the time here on Earth allows us to have. Oh, absolutely, Tom. Well, thank you as well. I should look forward to that also. And, uh, uh, we'll just uh, we'll just uh, plan to uh, keep going back to God's word for the answers. And if you're listening, thank you for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.